Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from January 2nd, 2021, Pastor Mark Fran preaches about the church, what the church is and what it is not, and asks us the question, do we love the church? For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. This morning, we have the privilege, I have the privilege of keeping a promise I made to you uh, many months ago. I said, when guest speakers come, we're going to make sure that the guest speakers are people of integrity. And I can just, with a big smile on my face, say we are keeping that promise this morning. Uh, our guest speaker, Mark Fran, uh, he's, it's spelled Farron, but he says Fran. Am I saying that right? Yes. All right. Mark Fran uh, is a pastor who loves the local church. Uh, he is currently pastoring in Bland, Missouri. He's wrapping up that season, and he's going to start working for our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, talking about church planting and helping uh, mobilize church planters, being on mission here in our own backyard. But Mark is a man of character and integrity, and he is a faithful prayer warrior. I get convicted every time I get a text from Mark. He's like, hey, Craig, I'm praying for you. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't praying for you. Man, thank you so much. Like, it just... and walking through a season of incredible challenges, but he has just character has bubbled up. So would you please give me a very warm, because it's really cold outside, but a very, very warm compass welcome to Pastor Mark Fran. Well, thank you, Craig. have to say, you guys have a, a wonderful pastor. I know the vast majority of our pastors across our district, um, and Craig is, every time I meet with him, he has wonderful things, I'm going to get used to this, uh, wonderful things to say about you, and he always just speaks so highly of you as a congregation, um, and he loves you very deeply. Um, so uh, some of you may know me. Um, my name is Mark Ferran. Uh, my wife is Jamie. Uh, years ago, my wife and I and our two boys, Beckham and Roman, uh, were missionaries in Romania, in Bucharest, Romania, for a couple years. In Compass, you were one of our partnering churches. And so we had spoken here uh, probably about six or seven years ago. Uh, but since that time, I, I've been pastoring in a small town uh, between uh, Jefferson City and Rolla named Bland. It's 500 people. It lives up to its name very well. Uh, but I, my, I want to start off today just kind of giving a little bit of history of myself and why the Lord has called me in the direction that he's called me now. So in May, I'm going to be wrapping up my time at my church, and I'm going to be joining the Central District staff up in the Des Moines area. And my role is going to be helping new churches get started, as well as helping churches that are going through seasons of conflict or, or transition, um, and just churches that basically reach out and just want someone to walk through them uh, with what they're going at that time. And so um, why the Lord has basically brought us in this way is uh, four and a half years ago, when I first uh, went into my role as the senior pastor of our church, uh, I walked into a small church of about 80 people, and we had had a senior pastor there who'd been there for 12 years, and he was a wonderful, wonderful man. He, he laid down a lot of gospel seeds. One of my elders came to know the Lord during his tenure there, um, and he just was a faithful preacher of the Word of God for all these years. 
And then after he retired, when he was about 72, we had an interim pastor come in. And the interim pastor made a, a lot of changes. And what began to happen during this time was anxiety and angst and all of this stuff began to, to come up inside of people and it began to come to the surface, but it was kind of all under the surface right there. And then I came in as the new pastor, unbeknownst to all of this, and basically the, the wheels had already come off the train and it was already picking up speed. And within just a, a few short weeks, all of the, the conflict that was there began to be very public, and it was all now directed at me. And what we walked through was 15 months of all I did was basically put out fires and, and deal with conflict and deal with screaming people, um, and that was just my life. And praise be to God that he does give you the grace to get through what he calls you to do. And he, he gave us the grace to get through it. And now we have a wonderful congregation. They're unified. I have some of the, the best elders, some of the most humble men I've ever met who serve alongside me. And the same with our team leaders. And I just love our congregation. And, and God really worked in every single one of our hearts during that time. But what he really did... Is he, is he constantly asks me this question, which I want to ask you today. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? Because it's so easy to say we love the church when things are going well, when things are going smoothly. But when we go through difficult seasons, either, either personally or, or, or seasons as a church or things happen or seasons of transition... All of these things can come to the surface so easily. And those are the times where we really have to, to check our hearts and say, do I love the church? And so that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to do something different than I normally do. Normally when I preach, I, I very much just give, I have one passage and I go through it expositorily and I kind of unpack it and pull out the meaning to our life. But today I'm just going to be talking on this topic of loving the church. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with basically defining what the church is not before I go into what the church is. And so I want to start with five things um, that the church is not. And the first one is this. The church is not a building. The church is not a building. I read a book many years ago. It's by an author named Tom Rainier, and it's called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And what he does is he, he goes around to, to different communities where there's been churches that have closed their doors, churches that have died. They no longer meet. And he goes around and he asks basically the previous pastors or the elder boards or different people there, what happened? Like, how did you guys eventually close your doors? And, and he began to have different themes that began to come out. And, and one of these big themes, he says, was an overemphasis on buildings, the primary budget item and the primary thing they talked about was just basically the preservation of their building, where that was the main focus area. This is, this is what it was like when we came to our church um, that I'm at now, was at the very beginning for years, all we did was all the money went to the preservation of the building. We have a beautiful old brick building with stained glass windows, but all of the budget money went to that to the extent where if we wanted to do missions giving, we would have to take up a, sec second, like a second offering, and they would. 
And even so, children's ministry, like if there could be anything more important than buying curriculum for our kids so they can grow closer to the Lord, they had to do their own offering. So all general offering went to the building. And one, like no joke, one Sunday, we actually took an offering three times. They, they passed the plate around, and then missions took an offering and passed the plate around. And then the children came down the aisle to have an offering. You should try that next week, see how it goes. See, I have great ideas for Craig. He's writing notes back there. But no, because the main focus of our church's heart was preservation of the building. I've been in a church leadership meeting before where they're talking about building a playground for, for their kids. And it's like, that's a great idea. And then it turned into this, this basic argument over, well, we have to build a fence around it because we need to make sure we keep those kids out there in the community off our playground. It's like, well, why is that? It's like, because they're going to damage it. And, and it's just this mindset of our number one goal. If we believe that the church is a building, then we will fight to preserve the building and we will fight to pour resources into the building. To the extent of there was this one church that, that was a mainly an, an older congregation, and they had a, a new family come in that wanted to lead a youth group. And so th this person started doing tons of outreach, and, and lots of young kids who were not going to church anywhere from broken homes, broken families, were coming to a Wednesday night kids program. And the church only had about 80 attendants on Sundays, but this kids program grew to about 120 children. Families that were not going to church anywhere. And these kids were coming in to know the church and coming to know the Lord. And during this time, as these kids all come in, basically uh, there was one evening after this had been going on for about eight months that the church was broken into and it was vandalized. And immediately the, the natural like progression of thought was it must have been one of the kids from this program. So we need to make sure these kids don't come in here more. So they, they shuttered the doors to their kids' program. And they said, we're just not going to do this anymore. And immediately all of these kids stopped coming. Their families stopped coming on Sunday morning. And, and, and we go, well, how can someone do that? We, we can do that as Christians when we believe things like the building is the church. And it's our job to preserve it. And if anything, including any type of ministry, gets in the way of making sure the building is the way it is, then we need to stop doing it. That's the first thing we need to realize as Christians is the church is not a building. The church is not a building. The second thing, the church is not a historical society. Tom Rainier in his book, The Autopsy of a Deceased Church, he says, the most pervasive and common thread of our autopsies was that deceased churches lived for a long time with the past as their hero. Meaning the way things we have done things is the way we should always do things. Now, I want to tell you a story today, and it's a made-up story. I made this up, but it illustrates this point well. I want you to imagine with me that there's a small country church in about 1900, over 100 years ago, and it's a farming community. And all the farmers work seven days a week, and they're out in the fields every single day, and so they're even on Sunday mornings before the church, they're out there, and they're coming into church with dirty hands every single week because they're farmers. But one week, they bought new hymnals. And these are new, and you don't want to get dirty fingerprints all over the hymnals. And so, like, what are we going to do? And someone had the idea, let's put in, let's put in a hand-washing station right when you walk in the door. Like, that's a great idea. 
And so when all the farmers would come in, and like, let's make it look nice. Let's make it look ornamental. And so all these farmers come in, and so they wash their hands in this nice, fancy hand-washing station before they walk into the service. And that's how they prepare themselves for the worship service. Well, over the years, farming changes. That They're no longer out there with their hands planting seeds. They have machinery. They're not as dirty. That They don't have to work on Sunday morning anymore. So, so all of that changed. But the hand-washing station is still there. So when everyone comes in, that's what they do. They come in, they wash their hands, and that's how they prepare themselves for worship. It's just how their church does things. Well, one Sunday, now it's 100 years after this church started and after that hand-washing station was put in, a new family moves to the community, and they meet someone from the church, and they don't know the Lord, but they, they like their neighbors, and they get invited to church. And they come to church, and one of the, the people, the wife, is in a wheelchair. And they start to come in the door, and they very quickly realize the hand-washing station is in the entrance, and there's no way someone with a wheelchair is going to be able to get into the sanctuary. What is that church going to do? Because this is how they do things. This is how you prepare yourself for worship. You, you wash your hands on the way in. And, and this is the, the situation that so many churches, so many of us get into, is the way we do things can be wonderful and great, but every single church needs to be asking ourselves, is the way we do things getting in the way of people coming to know Jesus? And there's so many things like this that we just have to, to constantly be asking. And I always encourage elder boards uh, and church leaderships and pastors to constantly ask this. Is the way we do things getting in the way of new people coming to know the Lord? You see, the church is not a historical society. I remember when I first got to my church... When I first got there, within a few months, a lot of growth happened. We had lots of young families come, praise the Lord. Uh, and, and our children's ministry began to grow. And at one time, one-fourth of our church was under third grade. So we just had massive amounts of little kids. And in the children's education team, they were so, they were awesome. We had uh, elementary school teachers and people who taught in the past. And, and they began to get super excited because now we actually had budget money that went towards children's education. So they actually had money to spend on curriculum and updating things. And one of our meetings, we were began talking about updating the room. It had not been painted in 30 years. The furniture was from the 70s. Like, we should get some new stuff in there. And everyone was getting excited. Like, we should do this. We should do this. And I'm like, yeah, go for it. You have the money. Buy the rug. Buy the furniture. Paint the room. And then everyone starts going, and it began to get really awkward. And all of a sudden, it's like, clearly something happened. It's uncomfortable. And everyone's looking around the room with this discomfort on their face. And I was like, what's, what's going on? <laughs> and finally, someone was brave enough to go, well... You see, here's the thing, Mark. In 1990, the, the children's Sunday school teacher thought it'd be a great idea to have all of the kids put paint on their hands and put it up on the wall and sign their name. They did that for about 12 years. It's like, okay. It's like, well, the last three Sunday school teachers have wanted to paint the room, and people have thrown such a fit that people have left the church over it. They said, no, you're not allowed to paint the room. I said, that room hasn't been painted since 1990, and we can't paint it. Like, we're afraid to. And it was just in that moment of, of, of like, realizing it's so easy at times. When, when people believe the church's historical society and the way we do things 
becomes as important as gospel truth. That no longer effective ministry is not even the criteria to how we make decisions. Where we are unwilling, basically, to show love to the kids God has brought into our church today out of fear of offending someone who went to the church 50 years ago when they were a child. And it's just, it's so easy at times for us to fall into these mindsets when we believe things like the church is a historical society. Number three, the church is not a nonprofit organization. I've had someone say to me, and elders, like I've had people say to me personally, and I've had pastors tell me stories about elders, spiritual leaders in the church that say things like, we pray too much in our elder meetings. This is not a time for Bible studies. This is a time for us to make business decisions. Uh, it's so easy because there's so many, especially today in modern day churches, there's so many business decisions that have to be made. It can be very easy for churches to get bogged down and forget who we are, to forget why we are here. We are not here to keep an institution going. And I think the, re- the reality is that, that every single one of us at times in our lives will, will fall into this mindset of thinking of churches and ministries as nonprofit organizations, but that's not who we are. Number four, the church is not a social club. A social club like a country club, where a country club, you go in and you pay your monthly dues and you get a golf there and you get to use the pool. And many times when churches are social clubs, you, you come, you tithe, and that means that the pastor will marry your kids and he will do your funeral. You get to the services of the church. But this church is not a social club. And one of the ways this comes out at times when people believe that it is, is when they are upset, they will begin to stop tithing. They will stop giving to the church because they believe this is, this is a club that I'm a part of and, and I pay my dues and therefore I get to make decisions. I had someone say that to me once. He said, Pastor Mark, I'm not happy with this that's going on in the church. I said, well, I'm sorry. So I'm just going to let you know that I'm not going to tithe anymore. I actually haven't been tithing for seven months. I said, well, that's between you and God because you are not giving to a nonprofit. You are giving to God. And if you're no longer giving to him, that's between you and him. It has nothing to do with me. The church is not a social club. Number five, which is very prevalent in our American Christianity, the church is not a worship service. The church does not exist from 9 to 10 on Sunday morning or 10 to 11. The church is not a worship service. It's not just a time where we come hear a sermon preached and sing some songs, um, although that's how we speak of it. If you were to run into someone on the way here on Sunday morning, what would you say? Where are you going? I'm going to church, which, which is a combination of the church being a building and the church being a worship service. But when people believe, when we believe that the church is a worship service, then that's what we will fight for. That's what we will fight to preserve. And that's what's gone on in America, I think, for three or four decades now with the worship wars. Which, which type of worship is more holy and sanctified by God? Traditional songs where we have a, a piano and we sing hymns or contemporary songs 
with, with, with a guitar and a drum set. And they, they've even named it the Worship Wars because so many churches have had this battle because so many Christians in our nation believe that Sunday morning service is church. And so if anything changes, we're changing church. In my church, I had one week, this is the, the level of the, the conflict about how important things were. I had two phone calls, an hour-long meeting, and someone threatened to leave the church because I started praying before we took the offering instead of after we took the offering. And then they finally said, this is so important to me, it doesn't feel like I'm going to church anymore. Because it doesn't feel like you're being thankful. How can you be thankful before you receive the offering? You see, this person believed that, that Sunday morning worship service was church. I had another person threaten to leave my church because we reformatted the bulletin to save on paper costs. The church is not a worship service. But if we believe that it is, if we believe the church is any of these things, that's what will become important to us. Tom Rainier puts out this list over actual arguments that have taken place in churches over things. I've narrowed it down to 10. There's 25 of them. But these are actual fights that have taken place in churches. One of them. What's the appropriate length of a worship pastor's beard? Number two, a fight over whether or not the, to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Number three, a church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. They had a congregational meeting and they voted on it. Number four, a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinets to purchase, black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. Number five, <laughs> I love this one, a fight over which picture of Jesus to put up in the foyer. Number six, a fight over whether or not to sing happy birthday each week. No joke, in my first three months of the church, we sang happy birthday every single Sunday. And there was an argument over this, whether we should do it or not. Well, someone else had a birthday. We don't want to miss them. These things happen. Number seven, an argument over what type of green beans the church should serve. Number eight, business meetings about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve. Number nine, two different churches reported type fights over the types of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in the latter example. And number 10, some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. It resulted in a major fight and a split. You see, when, when Christians forget what the church is, they fight for the wrong things. And when Christians forget what the church is, they love the wrong things. And when this happens, when Christians forget what the church is, at best, they end up exerting their energy, fighting a worthless fight. But when Christians love the wrong things and fight for the wrong things, at worst, they end up tearing down what Jesus gave his life to build up. Amen. And that's why it's so important for us to go, well, what is the church then? 
If the church is not these things, what, what is the church? The, the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Now you are the body, and each one of you is a part of it. Now you are the body, and each one of you is a part of it. The, the, the church is the body. It is made up of individual people who have different gifts and different strengths and, and see the world in a different way. The body has hands, those who are gifted with service, who, who, who love to serve out in the community and will constantly be trying to pull people into their area of gifting as well and serving. The body has a mouth, those who are gifted in the area of speaking. The body has a heart, those who have the compassion of Jesus, and it constantly comes out of them. The body has feet, those who are gifted in evangelism, who, who constantly want to go and share the word of God with other people. The body has so many different elements of it, but the church is a body. It is a group of people who have become united in the purpose of reflecting Jesus in the world and making disciples of Jesus. I'm going to read that again. The church is a group of people who have become united in the purpose of reflecting Jesus to the world and making disciples of Jesus. The church is people. The, the, the church is not a historical society. It's not a building. It's not a worship service. It's not a social club. It's none of those things. It's made up of people and made up of individuals. Now, I want you to look around the room right now. And I know you probably are, are the first few Sundays after um, Christmas every year. The attendance is down. So there's probably people not here as well, traveling for holidays. But just think about the people in your congregation. Or think about maybe believers you know at work or in your community and then say to yourself, that is the church. And now I want you to think about a believer, whether it's someone in your congregation or someone you just know out in general that you have some sort of tension with or conflict with or disagreement on and then to say to yourself, they are the church. He is the church. She is the church. And then to ask yourself, do I love the church? I remember when the Lord began to teach me this, uh, one of our very first heated arguments we had in our elder meetings, I'd been to the church for six weeks, and uh, the, the church sign had not been replaced in about 15 years. The letters had all faded off. You couldn't read it. And they wanted to put a new church sign up. Like, great, yeah, that'd be awesome. Let's do it. And uh, everyone was talking about, what are we going to put on the sign? And so well, we need the name of the church, and we need the phone number, and then we need the, the, the pastor's name. It has to be up there. And I have, I have a very strong appealing about, feeling about this because I believe the church is a body. No one person should be more important. They definitely shouldn't have their name on the sign because it communicates this person does the ministry of the church. And so therefore, I had a strong opinion of it. And so I said... No, I don't want my name on the sign. To, to which someone responded, your name is going on the sign. <laughs> to which in my immaturity, I responded, no, it's not. You can imagine how it went downhill from there. 45 minutes later, it was very heated, and we all left angrily. I lost, my name went on the sign. 
But I went home and I was praying about this over the next couple of days. And I remember walking around town, like still upset, like the next day, like kicking stones, you know. I'm like, Jesus, you, you must be as upset as I am right now because my name's going on the sign. People are going to think that I'm thinking that I'm prideful and that I think I'm more important than everyone. And I was just going on and finally it's just like the Spirit of God says like, Mark, are you ready to like listen to me for a minute? It's like, yeah. I'm ready to hear Jesus basically rebuke them because they're putting my name on the sign and, and Jesus goes to my heart basically. Do you think I care about the sign? And it was just like this realization of, you're right. I doubt I'm going to get to heaven and the first thing Jesus, like we need to sit down and we need to have a discussion about the sign because one of you is wrong. <laughs> and it's like, no, he's not going to. And this, as I began walking and just realizing that, it was the Spirit of God said to me, do you think I care about the sign or do you think I care about more about how you treated your brother in Christ in that meeting? And it was just this realization. It was like, just, just use words, Mark, to describe how you were in that meeting. I was angry. I was mad. I was disrespectful. I was unloving. And I was not self-controlled. It was like, the Spirit of God, once again, what do you think is more important to me? The sign or how you treat the church? Because that man you disagree with, Mark, that's the church. And it was just this, this time for me to begin to realize that I had believed that there's so many things that are the church that are not the church. And that I was willing to fight for and mistreat the church for issues that Jesus does not care about. Things that he did not die for. He died for people. He, he died for individuals. He, he died for the body. That's what the, the Word of God says um, in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Meaning Jesus died for the church. He gave his life for the people who make up the body of Christ. Christ died for a group of ragtag, diverse, multicultural people who would become one unified group. And we would be one unified group because of his saving work on the cross. Our American culture always teaches us to, to focus on, on individuals. Christ died for me. Christ died for you. But what the Word of God teaches is Christ died for us so that we could become one, so that we could be unified as one. A note on unity, though. Unity does not mean that you never state your opinion and you're never allowed to disagree with people. But unity does mean that you model Christ-likeness in your behavior. That the faith that unites you is more important than the issues that divide you. You see, unity is an outworking of people who truly love the church. People who, whose love of Jesus compels them to treat other people lovingly as well. I had a, a pastor who told me a story of a conflict that was going on in their church, and it was over an issue that should not have been an issue, but it was an issue. It was not anything significant, and there was basically a line in the middle of the room, and one half of the church wanted it one way, and one half of it wanted the other way, and it was about as significant as the, the, the blend of coffee. It was not something important, but there were a lot of heated things being said, and they had this congregational meeting to decide what was going to be done. 
And he said it was clear as day there was one side of the issue that was mad. And these people were angry. They were not self-controlled at all. And they constantly lashed out. And just their presence added tension to the room. He said in the other side of the room, they were peaceful. They were kind. They responded graciously. And they were self-controlled. And he said, my friend, he didn't have an opinion on the issue at all. It wasn't significant. And after about an hour of argument, they finally said, let's hear what the pastor has to say. And they go, okay. So the pastor comes, comes up and he's like, I just want to point out, I don't have an opinion. Either of these ways are, is fine to me. But just a general observation. This side of the argument is being angry, argumentative, and divisive. And this side of the argument is being soft-spoken, gracious, peaceful, loving, and kind. And those are the fruit of the Spirit, and I always go where the Spirit is. And it was just this demonstration of in that moment of what it looks like to love the church. When we believe that the church is something other than people, then we will be willing to mistreat people for issues and topics and decisions. But when we realize that the church is made up of individuals that Jesus died for, it makes us willing to go, I need to lay down these things so that I can love people well because that's who Jesus died for. Jesus died for for the individuals in the church. He died for people. And so loving people is how we love the church. When we begin to love Jesus more and more, that love that that fills us up, when it flows out to loving the church like he loves the church, it it will be basically an outflowing of us loving individuals and us fighting for unity. doesn't mean we always agree on everything, but it means we will love people well. I want to begin to, to wrap up today by telling you a joke. Um, this, there's this man who was out on a boat and he was out by himself and he ends up crashing on a deserted island and he lives there by himself for 10 years he, he's right on the shore he's constantly trying to wave down airplanes and ships and finally this ship sees him and it rescues him and he gets on this big cruise liner and he's leaving the island he's sailing away from this place he's lived for 10 years and he's just leaning over the back railing looking at this deserted island and the captain walks over to him puts his arm around him said hey man how you doing he's like i'm doing great i'm excited and the captain looks onto the the beach and he goes i thought you were living there by yourself he goes i was he says, well, why are there three buildings on shore? He goes, oh, that's simple. One's where I lived and one's where I went to church. He goes, what's the third building? He goes, oh, <laughs> that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> and what I love about this joke is it illustrates a truth that when problems arise in churches, it's not an issue, it's not a topic, it's not a season of transition, it's our hearts. Where one person on a deserted island by himself could have a problem with the church. I could see that. Because we, the word of God always teaches us that out of the heart comes sin. Out of the heart comes all of these things. And what God is trying to do in our lives is he's trying to conform our hearts into the image of Jesus Christ. The gospel is that we are saved from an eternity apart from Jesus Christ, and we are saved so that we can be transformed by the power of the gospel. 
And that gospel changes our hearts, and it comes out in a way that we begin to care about the things that Jesus cares about. And Jesus cares about people. Jesus loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Do you love the church? I just have three application questions I want to ask you to close with. And the first one is this. Are there any misconceptions you have held about the church that Jesus would desire you to lay down? Are there any things that you have held on to? I remember I grew up in the church my whole life, and I was taught from day one that church is a worship service in a building. And that's what I believed my whole life. Are there any things that you have held on to that God would have you lay down? Number two, are there any issues that have become so important to you that you are, un- you are willing to treat the church unloving for that issue? Is there any issue or topic that has become so important to you that you're willing to act unlovingly towards the church? In that situation, what would Jesus call you to do? Sometimes he asks us to lay things down. Sometimes he asks us to repent of things. Sometimes he asks us to to ask permission, I mean, forgiveness from some people. Are there any issues that have become so important to you that you've been willing to act unlovingly towards the church over it? And number three, is there a part of the body, a member of the church, that you have been unloving to? And what would Jesus call you to do in that situation? You see, every single one of us is a member of a body. And we are called to unity. And we're called to love the things Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. He loves the people here. And that's what we are called to do as well. Do you love the church? Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much that you are willing to die for the church. That you were willing to die for us, each one of us. And you showed, you showed us how important we were to you. And I just pray that today you would work on each and every one of our hearts, that we would feel your love flowing in us and through us and out to your body. I pray if there's anything in any one of our hearts that we need to repent of or any one of us that needs to ask forgiveness for, that we would do that. And I pray that your heart would become our heart. I just thank you so much for this wonderful congregation, the people here, and I pray your blessing upon them today. And I pray that as we worship you, you would fill our hearts with an excitement that we get the privilege of loving the church, something that you cared so much about you died for. May your love fill our hearts. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.